male living space. A podcast about spas. to Male Living Space, a podcast about Sparks. I'm Gib Christensen, and I love the band Sparks. I'm Jamie Ogihara, and I don't know one single thing about the band Sparks. And together, we're dissecting this seminal brotherly band's complete body of work, one album at a time. Now, last month, me, Jamie, and our very good friend Jenna McCorkle sat down to discuss introducing Sparks, the follow-up to what ended up being a huge flop, Big Beat, an accidental punk record that just it sort of smells funny these days. So after that sort of straying from form, they tried to return to form, and that flopped as well, resulting in the male brothers probably feeling the most lost they have at this point in their career, not really understanding what the people want from them, what they really want to do, what's hip, etc. America didn't care about them at all. Britain was kind of losing interest. So where else do you turn your attention from there? But Germany. It's the same old country, but the people have changed. It's the same old country, but the people have changed. Mainly because everyone bought a synthesizer. And Ron and Russell were just fascinated with where that was going. The technology of it fascinated them. And they became enamored specifically with a man named Giorgio Moroder. The goat. Yeah, I was about to say, you probably know who Giorgio Moroder is. Oh, Uh, yeah. I'm a record collector. I have a lot of records from the late 70s. I have a lot of disco records and funk records from the late 70s, especially a lot of records from the label Casablanca Records. And you'll see Giorgio's name on a bunch of that, including a lot of Donna Summer songs Mm -hmm. and Call Me. It's a Giorgio Moroder production as well. Oh, right, yeah. The story of how Sparks met Giorgio Moroder is kind of inconsistent depending on where you look there's a boring version and then in my opinion a much more entertaining version that might be more legit because it's more recently told so i'll give you the boring one first sparks are lost they don't know what to do they hear about giorgio maroder they go to their agent and go get giorgio maroder and they get him the end not very entertaining huh it's a little bland. It's very bland. You need some seasoning. Yeah. Now, that's the story that was told in the unauthorized biography that I've been reading, Talent is an Asset. But Russell, in the recent movie, The Sparks Brothers, tells a different story. And I'm hoping this is the true one. The way he tells it is, they were doing a show just somewhere in the U.S. Afterwards, they talked to a German journalist who was wondering what they were doing next. And they go full bluff, full bullshit mode and say, well, we've been working with one Giorgio Moroder on our next album. We think it's going to be really interesting. To their surprise, the journalist goes, oh, I'm friends with Giorgio. He's never mentioned you. Suddenly, they're in a very uncomfortable social situation. If I were them, I'd think, oh, we're screwed, we should get out of here. But no, the journalist is actually really cool and says, hey, I can help you connect with him if you want to do something with him. I mean, you seem cool. So they get his contact info, and it turns out he is a fan. He had seen them on TV a few times and was very fascinated, but he just wasn't, you know, shouting about them all the time while working on the big stuff. So he right away was interested, and they got in touch. Around that same time, the brothers got signed to Virgin Records, and they put out Number One in Heaven. I guess you could read it as No One in Heaven also because of the abbreviation of No One in Heaven. That is true, yes. 
no one in heaven the whole production process was surprisingly smooth compared to their last few ones and like experience working with different bands and people they did know people they didn't know this one was smooth if anything because the males were super open to change giorgio is actually the first person at this point to have a writing credit on any of their songs besides ron and russell ron even tells a story about how there were multiple songs that he would present to giorgio and he right away would just go no we're not using it and ron would just be like okay i believe you they were so down for this like musical boot camp that they were okay with him flat out rejecting premises and suggesting what they do i believe my other voice is entirely written by giorgio on his own he would just go riff for 15 minutes on a piano and come back and be like, we're using this on the album and they'd go <laughs> okay cool i find that really fascinating now moving on to our sparks book reports our one paragraph book reports on the album we will compare and then rank on the patented ignitometer jamie would you like to start with our sparks book reports absolutely this is jamie's sparks book report on 1979's number one in heaven in the year 2000 the dutch dance music group alice dj put out their debut album a collection of immaculately produced techno pop tracks called who needs guitars anyway it's the sort of broad, jokey title that I could imagine Sparks getting a kick out of, especially since it would be an equally appropriate alternate title for their 1979 album, Number One in Heaven. Unencumbered by traditional rock instrumentation at last, Sparks takes listeners on a tour through the human experience, from its ejaculatory origins to an apocalyptic finale. That conceptual bent makes Number One in Heaven the Mail Brothers' greatest achievement in song sequencing yet. Past Sparks albums, even the best of the bunch, have comparatively felt like the musical equivalents of snack mix as opposed to a full meal. The whole affair can feel a little overproduced at times. The song My Other Voice is the greatest offender in this regard, but I could not reasonably expect two Beatles fanboys from California to hold their own against the literal Italian godfather of disco, Giorgio fucking Moroder. Wonderful. All right. <clears throat> Time for Gibbs Sparks book report on the 1979 album No One in Heaven. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Giorgio Moroder here to save the day and turn Sparks into a disco act. Through the power of early synthesizers and Giorgio as Sparks' first non-male brother lyricist, Sparks successfully reinvent themselves into one of the first ever broody synth duos. Ron now sporting hip new wave hair and Russell dressing like he was caught in a tornado full of clothes, the duo have now become just that. A duo. This album marks Sparks' departure from the traditional band dynamic and rock and roll in general, and it pays off. You may be waiting for the lyrics to kick in like a really late bus, but it's worth it to see the fascinating new direction Sparks is about to go in. Alright, now we shall rate each other's book reports on our patented Sparks Ignitometer. Because we are discussing a band called Sparks, we believe every sort of ranking should be measured in items that ignite and produce Sparks. Ranking all the way from stone to oil left in pan too long. That being the sparkiest of the bunch. So, Jamie, I really liked your enthusiasm on this. It was really fun and really well thought out. It feels very promotional in a way. You really showed off what made it super interesting, despite some sort of overproduction or whatever sort of little nitpicky type things. Not necessarily giant critiques, but more like, eh, Here's a little misstep on their adventure into disco. But besides that, they're nailing it. Like, I really got your message immediately. So, I will give that Sparks book rapport 
I think that deserves a full-on oil left in pan too long. <gasps> oh my god, thank yeah. you. You're welcome. I thought that your book report began very, very strong with Giorgio Moroder coming to save the day. It's kind of interesting that mine ended with Giorgio Moroder and yours started with him. <laughs> it's how the world started and how it will end. It's always been Giorgio. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting that you weren't mentioning specific tracks. You were talking more about the males as this unit now, as opposed to just the makers of songs, but as a full cohesive group. And I think cohesion is absolutely the main theme of this album. You really conveyed how cohesive the album is and addressed that suspicious sparseness of the lyrical content. And I didn't expect you to do that, but in a similar way as to how Sparks defies expectations with this album, you actually surprised me with this review as well, which means that I am very comfortable giving your Sparks book report a bad toaster. Ooh, thank you. It's such a flowing album, one track to another. Like I said, it's not snack meal anymore. This is just the main course in a way. It's one big thing. Absolutely. And for that reason, listeners, we're not going to be doing our typical segmented approach of top and bottom tracks for this album. We're just going to go through this album. It's six tracks, one by one by one by one by one by one. And we're going to guess whether it is one another's top or bottom track. Indeed. So we're going to begin with side A, tryouts for the human race. Gib, I feel like this is a top track for you. I do think it's super bold of them to have their big reinvention album start with a song from the perspective of sperm. Mm -hmm. uh, it's so on brand for them. And because it's sonically so different from all their past stuff, it's so easy to get distracted by that and not listen to the lyrics and realize that it's so obviously about that. Mm -hmm. It's not subtext in the slightest. Love explosions all over the place. It's a good old time. And I love the music video, which is Ron and Russell turning into werewolves in some sort of goosebump set. Mm -hmm. So, unfortunately, in a big surprise, <gasps> it had to be a bottom track. An upset! Because I really prefer the single version. Mm. There's something about the official album version when the chorus chimes in. I don't get why it's so quiet. It's really hushed. I really like the single version in the music video where it just kind of pops a bit more. There's something awkward about the album version. So it's not the one I go back to typically. Mm. And that's about it. So, for you, Jamie, I think it's a top track. It's kind of interesting. On this big album of reinvention, they came back to a concept from their very first album, which is Biology 2. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely feels like a reboot in certain respects. The disco version. Yeah, it's taking the concept of the sex jam and then bringing it back to a scientific origin. Mm -hmm. And as an album that is all about transformation... It makes a lot of sense for this to start with a song about origins. Although I have to say, I do wish I had a single version to compare it mm -hmm. to because at six minutes, it's yeah. a very demanding opener. While I understand that it's building towards a climax for the purposes of the joke, <laughs> yeah, the joke yeah. itself is a little too apparent for that to be anything beyond a nifty little bit of intensifying. So it is actually one of my bottom tracks as well. 
Oh, wow. We both have upset the status quo. Mm-hmm. Lovely. Academy Award performance. Jamie, I'm going to guess it's a bottom three for you. Well, I feel like Academy Award performance is doing some really great character work in putting together this portrait of a really shitty partner. <laughs> it makes sense yeah. that right after Trials for the Human Race, which is about the origins of life, now we have something that is a very immature perspective. You can imagine a teenage boy saying these sorts of things in a really sarcastic tone of voice, which Russell, I think, does properly convey through his delivery of the chorus. There's even a reference to Joan of Arc, who actually appeared on Ladies in introducing as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she had a feature. Academy Award performance has a nice pumping quality to it, and with its lyrics about a guy just saying some really nasty stuff to his partner, and it's appropriately nasty and appropriately juvenile. This is actually a top track for me. Oh, interesting. Wow. The way you even talked about it, I was really ready for you to say bottom three. Okay. I think this is a top track for you as well. Well, I will start by saying that this takes us into our very special segment, The Long Take. I know what I'm doing. I've done this before. I mean, I've read about it where I find a song in every Sparks album for some reason that makes me think it should be set to a trailer for a upcoming Justin Long movie of some kind, in part, hopefully, to get him on the podcast. I don't care if he likes the band, hates the band, knows they exist or whatever. I am going to con the star of Accepted onto Male Living Space. So, Academy Award performance, I think, belongs in a meta-comedy about Justin Long as Justin Long. Oh. Trying to finally give an award-winning performance in his magnum opus, Accepted to Jokers vs. Juilliard. We see Justin lose weight, gain weight, steal other people's weight, have a screaming fit, and do a stunt Tom Cruise himself has deemed more impressive than Lord Xenu. It's an awful movie. He gets really jumpy when you ask him about Accepted 2, is all I'll say. He really doesn't want to talk about it. It does seem like it's a very revealing kind of movie about how Justin Long views the profession of acting. Yeah, it's uh, an abrasively long movie. Punishingly long. It is five hours with a half-hour intermission, but only after the first 20 minutes. It's way too early. And after that... It's a slog. And so, uh, in part because of that, and uh, like a lot of what you were saying, the, the general story, just this weird premise of there's a truly shitty guy saying horrible things to the partner. It's a surprise top three. We're already yeah. surprising each other a lot with this one. <laughs> because I remember you really liking, hating the big boy from Big Beat. So I thought that you'd really love to hate the narrator from Academy Award Performance. Yeah, exactly. And again, with the character, it's just, it's a very hateable Justin Long movie. Mm -hmm. It's almost like he goes from slacker to jock, from slob to snob. Mm -hmm. And, uh, ooh, yeah, some dated references. A lot of, ooh, no one wants them. Next track, La Dolce Vita. Jamie, what did you think, I think, 
about La Dolce Vita? This is so tough. I think that this is a bottom three, but I think this is only because you had to pick a third. Uh, (laughs) There's only six tracks. Trouble. The Christensen Gambit. The Christensen Gambit. So... I do think the premise is really funny. I love the idea of a story from the perspective of this career boy toy. Mm -hmm. He's open and proud about being a gold digger and talks about it like it's his profession. Like he's been Mm -hmm. in the business for years. I think that's really funny and sad. He seems like the kind of guy who goes to career fairs to pitch people this idea. He has a booth at your college fair. Right. Gold diggers are we. Step up. Follow me. And so it actually did manage to weasel its way into top three, probably wow. because of my tryouts reason, where it was the whole version debacle. Mm-hmm. If they just swapped it, maybe it would have been bottom three, but I do love Dolce Vita. And going back to tryouts again, the music video is also a really good time. I recommend yes, it. Yes, it's it is. Some, it's got some good Russell dancing and a striped sweater, Ron maniacally moving his head to the beat with his synths all around him. It's great. Russell is very much in his white guy at a dance party mode. I'm glad sort we of could like talk about his dancing. Moving his arms. Where I feel like I've definitely seen some of my college <laughs> friends go for it. Yeah, that is the best way to describe Russell's dancing in this. It's really going for it. <laughs> you get two choices of what to watch, and it's rewarding either way. You get to see Russell's got two drunken brunch dancing. <laughs> And Ron both playing the keyboard, but also turning on his death ray that he's got aimed right at you like a supervillain. So for you, I'm going to guess it's a top three for you. I think like me, you enjoy the dancing and everything the visual has to offer. And it's got such a bouncy kind of bassy rhythm to it that I feel like you probably enjoy. You are absolutely correct. There's no need to go into further descriptions with this one. La Dolce Vita is my favorite song on the album. Oh, wow. Nice. It is probably Sparks's only capital P pop song they've done so far. Yeah, I guess so. That kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, the critical response to it, actually. Of course, some of the rock heads, the disco sucks people, Mm -hmm. actually really thought of it as just a trend-hopping bandwagon kind of thing. They didn't think Sparks themselves even liked these songs or gave a shit. Mm -hmm. They were just like, ah, they're jumping on the synth bandwagon. This is so boring. When in the marketing, they kind of were desperately trying to convey the opposite. They're like, no, no, no. We're actually trying something new because we're having a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Like, It's a great pop song there's a hook across every line because the title is repeated almost as if it's hypnotizing you la dolce vita being italian for the sweet life as if it's like hypnotizing you convincing you that this gold digger lifestyle is in fact a sweet life and then twisting it at the very end with a really beautiful lyric life isn't much but there's nothing else to do that's a terrific line so good and you're right it's funny it it gets in your head not even so much because it's catchy, but because it's so hypnotic. Yeah. The way the synths go with his voice and the repetition. Fabulous melody, great rhythm. And it's not even a pace that like demands high energy. It's just kind of churning away. It's definitely the most like, this is the future. This is the future of music. Yeah. All these beeps and boops and a madman and a keyboard. Cool. I love it. Um, it's time for a quick commercial break. We will be back to discuss side B of the 1979 record, No One in Havana. No One in Havana. Population zero. Totally awesome! Isn't Sparks like totally dutical? They're okay. Okay! Twiggy, Sparks is your ultimate favorite group in the whole world. For sure. (laughs) 
Hello. Jamie, I've gotten some bad news. It's about the subscribies, isn't it? It's about the subscribies. Our campaigning did not pay off. We did not win. I told you we should have campaigned on other podcasts that isn't just ours. <laughs> you can't believe all the numbers the internet tells you. I thought maybe there were just a lot of people listening in incognito mode. And if we reached out, turns out we have like billions and billions of people. Turns out, no. Uh, I found a lot of our demographic seem to be people testing out their Wi-Fi and just seeing if they could stream something, and then they kind of back out in five seconds. We can't just sit on this loss and be sad. If there's something else we can go for, uh, there are plenty of award shows. I say, let's ditch the awards altogether. Oh? Let's go for something really, really major. Like what? Let's try to be the number one podcast in heaven. Let's try to bring some life to the dead. Let's get that celestial demographic. Yeah. Time to appeal. Mm -hmm. Hello, uh, angels. It's us. I'm sure you know our names and everything, but I guess we'll introduce ourselves. I'm Gib. Hello, God. It's me, Jamie. Of course, we host Male Living Space. A podcast about sparks. I'm sure you're aware of how we were just robbed. We were scammed, conned, swindled, hoodwinked. And you're probably just as upset as we are. Enraged. About to start some storms all over the place. It's going to rain cats, dogs, and a hybrid of the two. Cogs. Now, what would you say if we proposed to be your official number one? Screw the leaderboards. Your opinion is what matters most. Jamie talks to me all the time about how cool heaven sounds in general and how chill you guys seem. Yeah, I spend a lot of time thinking about what heaven looks like, and how many bags of chips there are up there waiting for me to eat them. But I'm not gluttonous. I can't go, I can't go down there. You know, right. I, I, I have a really moderate amount of chips. I do everything in moderation. Right, right. We can prove that we're very good at heavenly people. Mm-hmm. We're not the number one podcast in H-E double hockey sticks. Mm-mm-mm. See how I didn't swear? Eh? Yeah. We're, see, we're not the podcast that you want to hear down there. We don't swear that much. And we're really good kids. Mm-hmm. I haven't stolen a bicycle off of the rack in front of the grocery store in six months. I only pirate movies the old school way. None of that downloading. I am a, an adult man. I bring my film camera to the theater and film behind a very tall guy. I don't give the whole movie away. I have never cheated on all nine of my wives. We've given plenty of reasons, but now uh, our one last big bid to be the number one podcast in heaven. We've never murdered yet. We've never murdered yet. (laughs) So we are not adding to your overpopulation problem up there. And uh, uh, last ditch effort, uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You didn't hear or see anything. I have $5 with your name on it. So... Reach out. Stay tuned. Amen. Okay, bye. And welcome back to Male Living Space, a podcast about sparks. We were discussing 1979's Noween and Hoyven. Yeah, a little bit of Irish in there. (laughs) We are now on side B, starting with the track Beat the Clock. Jamie... I feel like this was a bottom three for you because you had to pick a bottom three. 
Okay, I've been kind of holding off on this because I wanted a big old pattern for it, but I feel like there's a bunch of songs across Sparks's 70s discography that feel like camp sing-alongs. There's always like one on every album. <laughs> <laughs> on Big Beat, it was uh, Everybody's Stupid. <laughs> oh my God, on yeah. <laughs> Introducing, it was Occupation. On Kimono, it was Falling in Love with Myself Again. There's always something that always feels like it's something that my mother would clap along to on a big old <laughs> bus ride to upstate New York. And Beat the Clock is the one on this album. Just a a bunch of people on a Greyhound singing Beat the Clock. Someone says the line and then everyone else on the bus is like, gotta beat the clock, you gotta beat the clock. And that sort of atmosphere (laughs) is the reason that I stopped going to summer camp. So Beat the Clock is in my bottom. Not because I needed a third, but because I don't like the song. And I don't like the atmosphere it reminds me of. I'm sure if my mom heard it, I'm sure she'd really like it. Yeah, we'll get her on the show. (laughs) Okay, so how do you think I feel about Beat the Clock? Because you've already occupied two top slots with Academy Award performance and La Dolce Vita, I think Beat the Clock is in your bottom. I'll start off by saying I relate to Russell. I also never looked good in shorts. And I think the song is actually, like, really catchy. I definitely get the campfire vibe in a weird, it's a dystopian campfire song, for sure, about hustle culture. Mm-hmm. I guess it's sort of like a, a camp for the grind. It's just what got in my head the most because of that, of course. Especially if I'm working, I really am just thinking, I'm gonna beat the clock, I'm gonna beat the clock. Uh-huh. It also was sort of my runner-up for the long take. I won't go too deep into it. But uh, it's a live-action Boss Baby starring Justin Long. I will not be taking any questions on that. So with all of that in mind, it actually wasn't my top three. Oh. Uh, for one, of course, another thing. They just really went hard with the videos for the first time with this album. They really <laughs> dove deep. Every track but Academy has a video, and they're all very different and weird. Mm. So I enjoy it. I think I remember they talked about it a decent amount in the uh, Sparks Brothers movie, and that was one of the songs when I first saw the movie that I thought, like, whoa, this is different. Mm -hmm. Moving on to My Other Voice. Jamie, what do you think I thought about My Other Voice? Well, now we know all of your top tracks. So you you know uh, you know what it is, but I guess why why do you think it's a bottom three? I think you got tired of it really easily, and I think that you were waiting for more lyrics than there are. Yeah, you were dead on. <laughs> I do like the production. I honestly think it has a better slow build than the title track. Mm-hmm. The, the album has a lot of slow builds. Yes. Some would say one too many slow builds. Mm-hmm. While I enjoy that. You are right. There's just not much to chew on lyrically, which is something I really like about the band. So whenever right. it gets like too broad, but also not repetitive fun, there just wasn't much to do. Again, funky sound, really nice experiment, but um, ended up a bottom three. I'm going to guess for you, kind of the same. Did you get bored? No, this was another obnoxious one to me. <laughs> because it was so interesting when you were talking about the historical context where you said that this was actually the one that Maroder took the lead on. It's absolutely believable because it doesn't have any of that Sparks snark to it. (laughs) If anything, it's just kind of a creepy song. Yeah, honestly. It's a creepy song, but it's also like, I get the joke of it. It's like, hey, with my other voice, you know, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to make you mine. And then the other voice is this stupid robot vocoder voice. 
<laughs> yeah. It's legitimately funny. You could even imagine, like, Lonely Island doing something kind of similar. Yeah, sure. It, it's kind of surprising that this is one that didn't get a video, because I think that probably would have improved it a little bit. To be like, okay, what is the story here with this thing? If you're not going to give me lyrics, give me, like, a visual to work with. Yeah, that sort of broad turn is definitely very very evocative but if you think about that message of you're going to be deaf to every voice but mine it is sort of forecasting the trend towards the absence of the human element in music going forward Mm. it becomes more about the beat and about the technology surrounding it so it's very creepy in that way too thinking about how prophetic it became about the dominance of technology in popular music but it doesn't really feel like a spark song so was i right it's a bottom three it's a bottom three Mm -hmm. it's a bottom three we're very much on the same page with that one Mm -hmm. lastly but not leastly the number one song in heaven well now we know how each of us feel about it gib it's (laughs) in the bottom for you and it's a it's a top one for me so it's kind of the same reason as tryouts for the human race where the single version is just the one that really stuck out to me Mm -hmm. Uh, it's the one used in the video i think of all the slow builds in this album this is the one that wasn't necessary Mm -hmm. it really just kind of dragged for me i get that it adds even more of a build to when it goes super super speedy and it's like whoa where are we now but it's such a long build it almost feels like its own separate song i do believe in later versions of the track they do separate it up into part one and part two that's the smarter move as a whole it takes a bit too long to get to that reward mm-hmm. but i mean when it actually does kick in it's awesome like i love when it gets super fast it's faster than anything they'd ever done really mm-hmm. still very snarky and dry and all of that but still it's intense it gets you so that's why it ended up being a bottom three for me i'm curious i, I don't really even have a solid guess why it's a top three for you explain My other voice is very, very experimental, but it's experimental for Giorgio Moroder. But this is one that actually feels like it is Sparks experimenting. They're doing a lot as far as different dynamics that move the song from its first movement to the next. And then the big reveal is that the number one song in heaven just goes, la 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 la. Yeah, it really is just an awesome song. It's the bottom three that I'm like, ah, dang it. All right. Mm-hmm. I gotta, gotta put something that wish there was a seventh really bad track. Where, <laughs> Where's a white women when you need one? <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> There's only six songs that we could hear, and... Thankfully, that last one is a pretty delightful closer. Everything starts off from this pre-human notion of just being sperm and then ending with this giant apocalypse. Everything just feels Mm. like it's proceeding naturally, not just with these bookends, but also if you think about the immaturity of Academy Award performance, the looking back on one's life in Beat the Clock to My Other Voice looking towards the future of music and of course the carefree adulthood of la dolce vita everything feels like it's telling if not a full story it's communicating an idea pretty successfully and number one song in heaven is the right way to end the album and i appreciate it for that most of all 
Yeah, it's a very nice like cherry on top. I wouldn't call it like a concept album or anything like that necessarily, but I'd say definitely the closest they've gotten to one really, where it's just like, oh, there's a consistent theme of, like you said, sort of the cycle of life and all that. I mean, you could tell that they were getting kind of interested in these ideas on introducing, which had songs that were someone looking back on their childhood. There Mm -hmm. was Forever Young, which was about immortality. And Number One in Heaven, it's the opposite of forever young forever young is one song about living forever and number one in heaven is the full album about mortality yeah it's awesome it's such a cool album Mm -hmm. and that brings us to ranking it on the good old ignitometer jamie where does number one in heaven rank on the ignitometer for you definitely towards the top i was sick of hearing guitars (laughs) So were they. <laughs> yeah, so were they. The highest rated I've had so far is Propaganda, and the songwriting on Propaganda still resonates with me very, oh. very strongly, but I do feel as if a nice half hour where it's just six songs and they're all working towards this one idea and working towards this big, beautiful climax I used to really rag on Sparks, and maybe I still will later <laughs> later on about their big explosive finales, but this is one where I didn't feel as if they were running out of ideas oh. in their second half, because their second half of the song is really where the meat of it is. So mm-hmm. this is probably the best Sparks has ever sounded. I would Ooh. say that it is on par with Propaganda, absolutely worthy of a Tesla coil. Sweet. Yeah, I had a feeling that you'd really, really enjoy this one, especially after, you know, so many guitar albums and the last one being that return to form. That I knew you'd appreciate that more than Big Beat, but would still want something different. And they right away made that pivot when they needed to. Let's see, where do I put it on the Ignitometer? I very much share your sentiment where it's like perfect timing to mix it up in such an extreme way and surprisingly nail it it doesn't feel like what they were accused of being which is just like an attempt a pastiche a sort of like bandwagon writing this was true experimentation true love and care put into this super thoughtful record i don't get people saying that they were bandwagoning at all it seems as if they were totally game i mean their fellow weirdos Yellow Magic Orchestra over in Japan had basically done their first synth pop album a year before. So it was probably only a matter of time before the males got their hands on a few synths. It's interesting. There are some good quotes about their general response to that accusation of bandwagoning. Russell mostly just kind of goes on to say like, hey, in a few years, you're all going to be talking about how much you love synth pop and disco. You're all going to be eating this stuff up. So mm-hmm. uh, have fun with that. Lo and behold, disco time. I think I'm going to agree with you on where it stands. I'm going to give it a Tesla coil. It's such a strong statement of a record. It's such a nice comeback. A very welcome change. Just as good as propaganda to you? Yeah, I think so. Right on. From the start of the record, I'm like, okay, I'm in. I'm fascinated. What have you got? Just that super moody beat and just sharp electronics. It's like, okay, you guys are in on this. This isn't just an experiment. Mm -hmm. Well, now that we have finished that segment, it's time for the final one. You've got mail. You've got mail. Where we read whatever we have received in our mailbox, whether it be threats, ransom notes, compliments, recipes, or uh, general gibberish. 
We like to read it on the podcast. Jamie, did you receive anything? Hopefully, you know, addressed to you. Oh, Gib. I really, really try to sort things out with the postmaster, but it's no. just not working. This one's for you. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. I'll scold them later. Uh, what's the letter? This is from Anise Star in Beverly Hills, California. That's where I want to be. To Mr. Christensen, thank you very much for sending your script to Mr. Long. Unfortunately, it does not meet our current needs. Also, he's already done one about a talking car and is really not interested in doing another one, especially a talking car with the voice of Dom DeLuise, don't you know he's dead, you stupid American prick. I'm guessing Anise is not from America. Canadian. Also, Dom DeLuise has already done a movie where he plays a talking form of transportation in the movie The Skateboard Kid. I really love the movie The Skateboard Kid. I actually have a The Skateboard Kid poster in my room. Justin doesn't know about that. Please don't tell Justin about my poster of The Skateboard Kid in my room. And I don't mean my teenage bedroom. I mean my real adult bedroom has a poster of The Skateboard <laughs> <laughs> just keeps going like this all that <laughs> late at night i dream about letter? being the skateboard oh god this is another page <laughs> oh my god this person needs help <laughs> don't tell me i need help i am the skateboard kid deep down in my heart i know that to be true and if you say that I'm not the skateboard kid, I'm going to roll over you with my skateboard because I am number one skateboard kid. And also Justin Long's agent. <laughs> it's really hard to tell which one's like the main gig and what's like the side hustle. Right? <laughs> Please don't contact me again unless you are a fellow skateboard kid and I will know when you say the skateboard kid code word but I can't tell you the skateboard kid code word because you have to know it because you would be a skateboard kid then. Justin is telling me that I have to go back into the room now to talk about Herbie Fully Loaded again. It's the only movie he talks about. I don't know what it's like to have a movie that dominates your conversation that becomes your singular obsession. Sincerely yours, Anise Star, a.k.a. Skateboard Kid number one. And then there's a three digits of a, of a phone number. Less than half. Oh, Jamie, I think I might be in love. Maybe I'll check in next month with you to see how that's going, my, my potential new wife. Now, I also got mail. Uh, thankfully, okay, so it's not wrong, but not right. I guess, because mm-hmm. it's technically uh, addressed to both of us. It, it was a bit hard to read the envelope because it is perpetually like, glowing gold. Oh. It is shining. I can't get it to stop shining. How do I describe it? Sort of a hymn? Like, it's it's singing a hymn. Ooh. Uh, I'm going to open it and see if it shuts up. Oh, wow, that got back to us fast. <gasps> you don't mean... Jamie, it's heaven. <gasps> Hovenhaven. Copenhaven. <laughs> It's various names. The the Celestials have reached out. I mean, I hope they wrote in English. or Yeah, I was I wondering read. if it was going to be in some sort of awful ancient script. Uh, okay, we were both wrong. It is... Oh, God, no. How old are they? It's a printed out PowerPoint. <laughs> with a bunch of slides printed out in color. Oh, my oh. God. 
Heaven. Heaven. This is embarrassing. This is embarrassing for them. I mean, like, we still want to be number one, but, like, (laughs) heaven. It's kind of making me Um, rethink the proposition, honestly. Like, maybe we're, like, too good for it, you know? Yeah, maybe I'm not even going to read this presentation. Yeah, just as well. Uh, Heaven, it's fine. You don't have to reach out to us. We'll reach out to you. Uh, You know, that old saying, maybe we do want to be Hell's number one podcast. No, it's not. We can be bad. We can be tough. Yeah. We couldn't be bad. We can be cool. Yeah. It could be really groovy. I've bought hair gel. I'm cool. I've seen a Fast and the Furious movie. Yeah. I've murdered before. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. All the time. We got bored of it. Yeah. Honestly. (laughs) That's it's been a minute. I'm still pretty bored. I'm still pretty wrapped up in the Sopranos. But when I'm done with that, I don't know. Spring break. All right, I, I just threw the letter in the trash. There wasn't even, like, $5 or anything in it. Not even, like, come on. You'd think they'd have the decency to bribe us back. Yeah, that's just how it goes. Well, all right, folks, tune in. We might become Hell's number one next month. If not that, we'll find something. We'll be the number one to someone. And we could be yours, listener, yeah. and you're going to be able to tell us if we're your number one by leaving your ratings and reviewings on the podcast app of your choice. Thank you very much for listening to Mail Living Space this time around. We're back. The number one podcast about Sparks, hosted by two people named Gib and Jamie. If there's another one, don't tell me about it. But you can tell me about it in the ratings and reviewings. And if you do review the show, we will read it on our infamous You've Got Mail segment. If you like the Mm -hmm. show, please don't forget to subscribe to it on the podcast app of your choice and tell everyone you know that this is going to be the number one podcast in hell. Don't tell them that we lost at the subscribies. Don't Mm -mm. tell them that we lost at the subscribies. That's not nice. We're just going to hope they didn't see the show, the awards, or they don't know who won and just roll with it. Okay? Okay? And, uh, oh, yeah, also you can follow us on the Instagram. That's just male living space podcast, all one word. You'll notice by the picture. It's uh, your favorite two people, Gibb and Jamie. Well, your second two favorite people. Your two favorite people are probably Ron and Russell Mayo, but these are your other two favorite people. Oh, right. But eventually we will fuse. Uh, as a unit and become uh, one group of two yes actually big news about ron and russell they've got a new record coming out indeed it's going to be called the girl is crying in her latte it comes out this coming spring we're very excited just so you know we won't be reviewing it when it comes out we are going to stick Mm -hmm. to our schedule of going decade by decade but we will eventually get to that album however We are considering going to see Sparks live this summer and recording the experience for all of you. So be on the lookout for that. But do not be on the lookout for the episode about the new album because we will get to it eventually, Mm -hmm. but we're going to stay on track with our chronological reviews. Next month, we will be covering the follow-up to this intro to synth. The male brothers continue their journey into experimental electronic goof nonsense with Terminal Jive. Keep a lookout for that. And now, for your listening pleasure and ours, six legally allowable seconds of the music of Sparks. See you next month for the next one. Bye! Bye!